So welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another DNA podcast. Number five, I believe this one is. Could have that wrong. But um, yeah, so feels like ages since I've spoken to this little recorder of mine about what I've been up to, etc. It's been, yeah, it's been quite manic throughout the last month or so. But I haven't been out to the the big pond or back to the big pond should I say and I'm thoroughly missing it to be honest unfortunately work commitment wise and the fact that I had a lovely trip to Rainbow sort of got in the way of getting back up to the big pond and yeah I'm not going to get up there until about the autumn time I've got my diary in front of me right now and it's just Ramo almost every day pretty much yeah not ideal to be honest well it is ideal because it's good to be busy obviously but from a fishing side of things my own fishing anyway yeah it's gonna have to take a bit of a back burner unfortunately that lake needs a lot of you need to be up there to be in with the click you know I'm sure we all know what it's like to be in tune with the lake that you're fishing, you need to be either, you know, walking around it, baiting it, or fishing it, obviously, almost every week to feel like you're in tune with the place. And, yeah, I think if I was just to go up there on a, you know, an overnight or as such, or, or just 24 hours, then I just think it, it wouldn't be worth it, you know. But I am missing it. It's always at the back of my head at the moment, um, whilst I've got other things going on, but... With the rainbow trip, yeah, amazing, amazing trip. Always going to be an amazing trip whenever you're obviously going to a place like Rainbow. And I went with a gaffer, Jason Trott, whose um, second part of his interview that I did is coming up in a little while. So, yeah, thank you to everyone that's listened to part one of Jace's interview. Went down really well. This second one, going to be amazing. Definitely going to want to stay in tuned to listen to the rest of that interview take place. Um, but, yeah, Rainbow. Well, me and Jace, we went out there. Um, sort of the lake hadn't been fishing well at all, to be honest. And I've never let that sort of worry me whatsoever to be honest I've I've moved into swims on rainbow when people have been struggling on there and pretty much had it off sort of thing so I think on the island when me and Paul were back on there a couple of years ago the there was Italians on there and they had been on for two weeks they had had seven fish me and Paul got on the island we had seven fish within the first couple of hours and ended up with 93 fish for the whole trip so I never let that sort of worry me to be honest last year as well when I was in 1718 uh, Lockie and his mate they were in 1718 I think they'd had 20 fish for the two weeks, which is you know that's not that's not bad going definitely, but for seventeen eighteen this, there are they're big hit swims for you know, big amounts of fish, and yeah I had, I had sixty three fish and I think Paul had forty eight something like that. I was in seventeen, he was in eighteen. So again you know, 
that was um, a mega, mega couple of mega trips for me and Paul there. And then me and Jace, we were back on the island for this trip. It was only a couple of weeks ago. And, well, you're a bit dubious when you've got some a, a man like Alan Danu coming off the island saying that he's blanked is a little bit just you know worrying in a way that he knows that place really well i'm sure a lot of you guys will know who he is i've probably said his name wrong there to be honest but he's a guy that sort of wears the um like a samuel jackson type hat thing like a farmer's old peaky blinders type hat um back to front for for any of you guys that have probably seen him in magazines but uh, you know don't know him by name as such and yeah he fishes rain he's fished rainbow for many years and unfortunately, he had blanked, so me and Jace had moved on <clears throat> after Alan had finished his trip on the island. And the guys that were actually on the island before Alan, um, they did a two-week blank as well. So, yeah, three weeks for the island not to do a fish is, is unheard of. You know, crazy. So, yeah, we... Got in there, Jace decided to go on the right. It's obviously, it was Jace's trip sort of thing. He went on the right, I went on the left. And I've never fished the left before. It's always the side that Paul goes whenever we've been on the island. I've always been on the right-hand side. And, yeah, Jace was happy to go onto the right. And, yeah, I didn't. I sort of had a semi-idea of what I wanted to do on the left. But it's a completely different animal to the right-hand side the left is, definitely. And... And yeah, it was um, the Sunday morning, so we got there on the Saturday, uh, got set up by Saturday evening. I think Jace had had a couple of rods out. I might have had three or four rods out, I believe, Saturday evening. I said to Jace about you know where I'd had thousand scale from before. There's like a little small channel right up at the back. And yeah, Sunday morning, that rod ripped off for him, the thousand scale spot rod with a 69 pounder trip done absolutely mega what a carp that was as well it was spawned out at 69 pound and i'd actually found it on the uh, rainbow facebook group there's like a secret group thingy that's on facebook and uh, the fish had been out of peg 18 about three or four weeks before jason had it at 74 pounds so you know uh, a resident 70, should we say, when when it's at its normal weight in there. But Jace was buzzing. He wanted to catch himself a 60-pounder on, on that trip. And, yeah, he'd done it first morning, 69-pounder, job done, well and truly done. And then I uh, – sorry, just having a sip of me drink. Um, and then, yeah, I – I started off with a 37 pound I had a 37 which was nice and then I lost an absolute bloody giant as I seem to do every now and then on poxing rainbow but yeah this thing was an absolute monster I was I was dragging it up off the bottom so I, I honestly thought there was a tree attached to this fish so the rod had went I'm, I'm right next to where this fish is and I'm sort of pulling, pulling and thinking, right, I'm bringing a tree up, I'm bringing a tree up, and all of a sudden, this just humongous carp just hit the surface on its side and didn't really do a lot. And to be honest, I honestly don't think the fish even knew it was hooked. It just come up off the bottom on its side, and then it sort of like turned its body, and as it turned its body, it sort of slapped its head on the water, and the hook come flying out. And it was... I'm, I'm talking a net 
a rod length away from where I was, lying up on the surface. The hook had come out and it was still lying there. And I just shouted, no! And it, like, woke up and just shot off it through all the trees that were behind it. I couldn't believe it. And it's a fish that I've never seen before. It had loads of scales down the side of it. And I ended up finding that fish um, where it had shot off to. Uh, I think it was the next day, I'd gone up into one of the channels to the left-hand side of the island, near where I'd hooked this fish from, and, well, there was Scarface at a 90-pounder swimming around on the surface, and I got some really cool footage of this 90-pounder, something you don't get to see every day, obviously, swimming around on the surface, and then there was like a couple of 70, um, 70 mirrors with, with this 90-pounder, and one one of them mirrors being that one that I had hooked. And it, it, in, in the water, 100% it looked 70 pounds. Jace was with me. He was watching them as well. And I was like, that's that one that I hooked this morning. I've never seen a photo of that fish before. I don't know of many sort of scaly 70s that are in there. But, but yeah, you know, there's so many carp that are in Rainbow. It's, um, it's difficult to see all of them, I suppose. But, you know, I've got a, a rough idea of what all the big ones look like, you know. So, yeah, I was absolutely gutted that I'd lost that one. Just a hook pull. One of them things, you know, it happens on there, unfortunately. But Jace ended up having a couple more. I think we ended up basically with 10 bites each. Jace didn't have any more monsters. I managed to have a 51 pound on the very last morning, on the Saturday morning. And yeah, that, that I was buzzing with that. I had a 47 common as well, just before the 50. And yeah, I was over the moon. It was a great trip. It, it could have been a far, it could have been far worse for us, put it that way. You know, we could have blanked like the other guys did the three weeks previous on the island. So yeah, I think we did well. We fished well. Strange enough, all the bites come to the switch as well. Not, I don't think me or Jace had a bite on the SLK. They all just come to the switch. And we took the similar amount of switches we did SLK out there. And it just seemed like, you know, the switch rods were the ones that were doing it. Then Pigs in Rainbow absolutely love that switch. I don't, I don't, there's just something about it in there that they absolutely love. And... And yeah, I almost want the SLK to be a better bait at Rainbow, just because I feel like a fish mill just feels right for big uns and this, that and the other. But the switch always comes up trumps all the time. It always catches the big uns, the switch does. And um, and yeah, it's testament to the bait, to be fair. They love it in there. So if any of you guys ever get that lucky opportunity to go Rainbow, you can't go without taking the switch, definitely. But yeah, that wasn't my normal trip for the year. I've got I've got a trip in September. I've got two weeks at Rainbow in September. And just before I go to Rainbow, um, I've just been confirmed by the Fox guys. Probably can't say a lot about, you know, what um what well basically Lewis Port gave me a call this morning, asked if I could go abroad for them uh, on a really special lake that everyone knows about which I don't think's ever had a proper film done on it um yeah I'm doing that the week before I get ready for the week for rainbow so yeah the missus is well happy as you could imagine so three weeks away from home not really ideal but it's split up by a week, so I'm at, I sort of go out abroad for Fox for a week. I'm not explaining myself very well. Um, I go out for Fox abroad a week, 
come home for a week and then go to Rainbow for two weeks. So, yeah, thoroughly looking forward to September, to be honest. That should be really good. And hopefully the filming that I'm going to be doing out out abroad with Fox, that goes well as well, because that could be um, mega, absolutely mega. But anyway, right, I'm going to stop waffling on because I've waffled on for absolutely ages here. I'm currently putting my talk together at the moment. I've got Carpenter Park coming up this weekend. And yeah, I'm currently sorting that out. Going to do a bit of a different talk by having the lovely man that is Simo and all the pranks we play on one another and this and the other. I'm going to have that as the first part of my talk whilst at Carpenter Park, which I'm looking forward to, to be honest. And then second part's going to be about Rainbow. So anyway, without further ado, I'm not going to carry on waffling on about what I've been up to in this, that and the other. I'm going to dive straight into this second part of the interview, not to be missed, from the gaffer, Jason Trott. Okay, so welcome to part two of the podcast with Jason Trott. Hopefully you've all listened to part one and uh, Jason has painted a picture of, of himself, obviously, as an angler, but I really now want to sort of delve into Jason's mind about bait side of things, dude. Yeah. So thanks for coming on again. No <laughs> and uh, And yeah, I mean, the... When did it all sort of become a fascination for yourself, really, I suppose, the bait side of things? Um, right from the start, really. It wasn't... From the start, you were angling, or was it... Well, yeah, obviously, like... I started off angling just for little bits and pieces. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. It wasn't until I started properly cart fishing, which was probably around 86-ish. Um, so I was about 16, um, 15, 16 and that's probably when I started looking at bait really mm. and there wasn't really anything in the shops there was a bit of like Kevin Maddox uh, no, yeah. sorry Duncan K stuff um, I don't remember the Duncan K stuff but I remember the Kevin Maddox stuff I can yeah, even see the yeah. picture of the carp on the the cartoon carp yeah, on, yeah. The, on the bags yeah. and uh, I reckon some of them ready mates are probably still around today yeah, yeah, yeah. There's probably that much. It was the the one that was always good for me was the honey Yucatan. Yes, yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah. It was always brilliant. Not the Rickworth one, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So it was honey well, nectar. It honey was. nectar. Honey yeah. nectar. Yeah, that was honey a Yucatan. Yeah, Yucatan was rich worth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was obviously I started off just using lunch and meat. Um, sweet corn that kind of thing yeah just normal yeah yeah bread crust and stuff like did that did you get into the potato buzz no well how old do you think i am <laughs> <laughs> i use potatoes <laughs> um I, I have used the potatoes <laughs> <laughs> showing your age now jace <laughs> yeah but i didn't catch anything so yeah if we had um if you had forums and and facebook then people mm. would say potatoes were shit <laughs> yeah. Someone yeah, someone will comment. Yeah, yeah. Um, they were shit. They, yeah, yeah. they were they were very shit unless you put a lot of shit on them. <laughs> yeah. Then then they were sort of good. Yeah. Anyway, it's not about potatoes. No, it's not, no. Um, yeah, so obviously I was using lunch of meat, sweet corn, bread crust, um and then started messing about with powders on 
uh, lunch and meat or bacon grill, as I was actually using at that time. Right. And then sort of frying it to make it semi-boiling. And then once you've started looking for powders, you end up looking at all the other ingredients in your mum's cupboard and then yeah. rifling through everything yeah. and uh, trying to make some kind of dough paste. And, yeah. and I think the first ever sort of what I would class as a boilie was made out of plain flour and salmon, salmon pate or something or whatever, right. Right. some kind of thing, in it, some fishy thing in a jar that was in the fridge that had been there <laughs> since the 80s probably. Yeah. Well, it was the 80s, but <laughs> since the 70s then. <laughs> but um, yeah, and just mix it together and made some kind of glutinous mess that yeah. encapsulated the hook because I wasn't really using hair rigs then. But no. Even though they were about, I was still just sort of side hooking my meat and putting mm. a bit of grass in and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and I didn't catch anything on it and caught <laughs> on lunching meat, so yeah. it didn't really inspire no. me too much. But So it was a little bit later after that that um, as boilies became more popular, there was sort of more ingredients became available in the shops. Mm. Um, so it was just a lot easier to buy things to make proper boilies from rather than just Rooting looking at a book and see a recipe and then try and make the recipe but without using the same things. Yeah. Um, like you do when you don't have any money and you're a kid. Yeah. You just think, oh, well, I'll use that instead of that because that's going to work. It's like a flowery kind of substance. So when, when was the point you, you, you had created a bait that worked? Um... Well, probably would be just rolling um, probably some somebody else's base mix. Probably. Right. So probably at that time, well, I guess it would be rich with that we're putting sort of 50-50 mix yeah. in the shop. And then it would be basically a case of um, putting whatever we wanted to put in that. Mm. You know, whether it be a bit of fish meal or... Um, bit of bird seed that we ground up ourselves or something like that yeah um but yeah they were really you know the most basic of baits really yeah there was yeah. no sort of science there whatsoever at that time so when um it's literally the nicest smelling bottle of flavor on the shelf would be the one that you use that season yeah kind yeah of thing. yeah so when what you know what can you remember that that first bait that you created that was i.e. the bollocks as such, you know, that a bait that you had created that um that that just worked, you know. A boilie, <coughs> sorry, that you created that that worked. There must have been can yeah, you remember there, there that? was lots really, but it was different you were fishing different waters then, so it was hard to you know, you could put a simple fifty fifty mix together with a certain amount of different ingredients in it. But you were in certainly in Yorkshire, we were fishing for doubles, yeah, and quite a lot of them. So the the difference was you either caught five cap or you caught ten cap. So you know, because you caught ten cap doesn't mean that that bait was amazing. It yeah. just means that we caught more cap than anybody else that day. <laughs> yeah. But you know, looking back back at it now, you know, there's there were really simple baits really. So it yeah. wasn't until a lot later on really. Um, when sort of the better ingredients became available, you yeah. started to be able to put fish meals together 
that, and it was fish meals that you were looking to create the best baits with because they mm. were the um, to, be, to be honest fish meal is sort of the best protein source for carp yeah it's the most uh, easily usable protein source and which is why it's been so so widely used for so many years really and continues mm. to be so but. yeah which in 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 some aspects I find strange, but then you know I suppose as we we get later on in the conversation, the switch will come up. But um, it's amazing how the fish mill has been dominant from almost before the internet era, because I would imagine the internet changed a lot of baits or a lot of people's thoughts on i.e. the nutrition side of bait things. And you, you get a lot more knowledge now of having the internet, but back then you wouldn't have had the internet. Yeah, there so. was, no, there was, a, there was still books. You know, there was a lot of Hutchie stuff and even um, Kevin Maddox. And, you know, there was books there that... And was that, was that your sort of inspiration to the bait side of things? Were they well, your... I, I was sort of a bit of... Um, I'm a little bit later than that, you know. So, sort of like the Tim Paisley kind of era, like Carp season. Um, that was sort of that mangrove kind of birch grove kind of era, mm. was when I was sort of cutting my teeth on like proper carp waters and getting really interested in bait. And obviously, Tim's a great writer um, and really interested in bait. So, I, I always sort of it just clicked for me. Yeah. And the way he thought, he, the way he thought about how his spots were working, um, how he's building up his swim, how the fish were reacting to certain levels of ingredients, and that, although I might not agree with everything that he said at the ta- uh, now, yeah, but obviously at that time I didn't really know any better. So, but it was, it's more about uh, generating the interest in bait, really, yeah, and it just being a whole. It wasn't just going carp fishing anymore. It was there was a whole different side to it all. Yeah, yeah. Not a business side because that's a long way away. But yeah, you know, just thinking that you know you're in control of something here. You don't have to buy something from a shop. Mm. Like it makes something that nobody else is using. Yeah, which is something I would love to know myself. Again, you know, it's laziness on my behalf, really. Yeah. Because. I know that there's people like yourself out there that can do it better than what I can because you're a lot more knowledgeable about it than yeah. I can. Um, but you know, I think anyone can learn anything. Of course, yeah. Of course, yeah, yeah. You know, especially in this day and age. Yeah. You know, when you've got the internet, you can learn. You know, um, yeah. do you, do you think there's the ultimate bait? Would you say you know is there? Do you think there would ever be a bait that just would always work no matter where it went, no matter what sort no. of thing. Do you think that would ever happen? No. No. Why, why the, do you think that? Because the carps need for certain um, vitamins, minerals, uh, proteins, carbs. It changes throughout the year because they're a constantly changing being. They're, they're not the same all year round. Right. You know, they're getting ready to spawn, they're spawning, they're recovering. Um, you know, they just there's a lot of there's a lot of different. I don't I don't know how to say it really, but there's sort of 
they need certain things at certain times of the year, so that that it would you would never have all of their nutrition, I suppose. No, so in will, one there will be an autumn for the whole, for yeah. the twenty fifth of May of that particular year, yeah, depending on those weather conditions. Yeah, yeah. But you know, you could never predict that, and it's impossible. So all yeah. you can do is try and give them a bait that ticks all the boxes nutritionally. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, if you're only bothered about catching the fish, then you don't even have to bother with that. But, you know, there's a lot of good attractors in baits now that don't rely on nutrition. That's a totally different um, scenario, really. Yeah. You know, that's... So you, would you say that there are baits that are definitely sort of seasonal baits as such, that some that definitely work when a carp needs that type of nutrition at that point or at, at, compared to another point or yeah well i think i think baits nowadays are pretty rounded nutritionally a lot of the good ones are anyway yeah um, and they're going to work all year round. You don't, the fish meal sort of in winter thing, you know, that's been long myth bust, busted. Mm. Um, but the people still believe that though, don't they? They still... Yeah, I don't know why, because it's... Everyone, yes. You know, <laughs> it's, 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 you talk 20 years ago, 30 yeah. years ago, people said that. Yeah, I know. Not, yeah, no, definitely. And that sort of... You know, the fish meals haven't really changed. You know, some better quality ones, but a lot of the fish meals used in commercial bait making are still the same ones that we use in 34 years ago yeah yeah um so you know there's no difference there it's just that back in the early days sort of ye sort of premier days then you know there was a fashion for loading baits up with oil mm. with the uh, salmon oil and nod oil and stuff like that yeah yeah and um you would never do that now you know no That's, with that much oil going into the lakes I don't think they ever saw a ripple some of the lakes down south <laughs> yeah. but so is that a bad thing then for the lakes for a dumb dumb like me sort of thing you know that hasn't got a bloody clue about right? um, is, yeah, you, yeah you don't really want to give them you don't want to give any animal an overload of a particular nutrient or a type of ingredient right. in this case fat you know it's just not yeah. good for the livers no you know? So, I mean, when when you see people sort of dousing their floaters and stuff like that in oil and this, that and the other, how is that bear different to that's pumping it into a bait? As yeah, so? that's totally different to <clears throat> soaking, the, soaking a bait through with oil. Mm. We're not talking a glug of hemp oil on top of your floaters, shaking the bucket and then catting it out. Yeah. We're talking litres of oil glugged into 20 kilos of fish meals. Right. You know, and then... Yeah. just using them like that and at that, at that time there was a lot of bait going into waters because the um obviously that was a sort of fish meal boom so yeah yeah, yeah. certainly down south there was it was totally different up here really because it was still um tight <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm looking for a better word yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, pound a bait would last us a weekend. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not twenty kilos like on, <laughs> no. on Harefield or whatever. No, yeah. so, so sort of going back to the beginning as such. How did DNA sort of come about then for you? DNA was um, well before DNA. There was um, we, there's my best mate is uh, Mark. 
him and another friend of mine, Richard, were making baits, sort of just garage type things, just yeah. from scratch, like we like we'd always done in the past, but um, they're just doing it out of a hobby, really. Yeah. Um, so they were they were doing that at that time was sort of fishing, um, uh, club water for a particular big fish. So I was sort of. Um, I wasn't at a loose end for a bit, but I'd, I'd recently been made redundant, so I was a bit skint. So right. obviously, the more better I could get cheaply, yeah. the better really. So I started sort of working, well, what's say working with them, because they were friends, but I, was st- I started using their bait mm. and almost field testing it, I guess. And obviously, when I started that, and obviously with them being good friends, and I'd often go and help out, it just sort of sparked the passion again yeah and it was like literally walking back into something that um you know that i felt at home with yeah something that i'm not done for because i sort of used not i've always sort of rolled me on bait so i've not really used ready shop ball i could probably count one hand how many different ready-made baits i've ever used right you know apart from dna ones obviously yeah yeah so it was always I'd maybe buy um, uh, Nutribates gear and make it mine, if you know what I mean. Yeah, Put yeah. different ingredients in right. it and change it. And yeah, things. yeah. So I've always made me on bait anyway like that. So when when Mark and Richard were doing this, obviously they were talking about it and um, I started to get a bit more involved with it and then I'd come and help them roll it so I'd, I didn't feel like I was taking bait for nothing. And... Um, yeah, just got more and more involved, really. Mm. And then it was sort of decided that it wasn't, it wasn't really a conscious effort to make a bait company because it sounds a bit contrived nowadays, but it was just something that it was very cottage industry and it was still at the start of all this thread in the shed kind of thing. Yeah. and But it just seemed a good idea. It was like we could... We, had, we were obviously catching well on the baits that we were making. Um, and people kept asking you for them, so mm. it's it's a quite a common theme. This I think with bait makers, yeah, is that you always end up making a bait that works well. Yeah, you catch well on, and matey in the next one wants to buy five kilo off you, yeah. and then you think, oh, I could make a bit of money here, and then I then I can buy more ingredients, and then when it comes to me taking my bait, I don't have to pay for yeah, it. Yeah, it's cost you nothing. Yeah, yeah. So that's basically how it worked out, really. And obviously I'd been made redundant, so I had loads of time. So we sort of cracked on doing that. Mark had sort of, um, he'd been in a quite a bad car accident, actually. So he was sort of still in recovery then. So he wasn't working. <clears throat> I think Richard was also, um, I think he was working at that time. Actually, he wasn't there all the time, but it was part time. And so we just really just cracked on like that. Just yeah. sort of made, I don't know. 10 kilo a week, 20 kilo a week or right. something, just really one day a week, few hours. Yeah. And then obviously during the weekend and... And, just, yeah, and you, so, you, you sold that on just to... So, so you, make, you, you weren't making... Yeah, sort yeah. Of, right, yeah. So you sold that on just yeah. so that your bait was was sort of free for yourself, I suppose, yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. So, so it started off as a very, very little acorn, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a tiny yeah. acorn. Yeah, we still have the... Um, 
there's a little white mixing bowl in the factory. You have seen it because I've actually been mixing some ground bets in it, right? <laughs> Testing some uh, of the pro core stuff out, but um, that white ball in the factory, the lads always try and chuck it away, and I never let them because I say, you know, the first ever mixes were done in that bowl. Really? There. Wow! We're still going now. <laughs> yeah, with eggs and a fork. And mixing it and finishing it off by hand, you know, and they're like chucking 150 kilo paste into a mixer, going, Nah, you didn't do it in that, did you? <laughs> yeah, that's what it, that's what wow. it started, mate. Amazing, yeah. So I won't let them chuck the little white ball away. No, nice. make sure they don't, um, yeah. So that's always hangs about in my little lab yeah test area your little corner now. yeah the yeah, lads have got corner. a big factory and you've been put back into yeah. this little corner yeah and i still mix stuff up with a neck <laughs> and, a, and a fork <laughs> yeah so so out was right. there a point where it just blossomed you know it's sort of it, not it got, blossomed. yeah did it explode you know did you know what happened to, to um, the what actually become a job you started such? there was a local shop um uh, in Thirsk, because that's where Mark lived and that's where his garage was, <laughs> so that's where we worked. And uh, the shop that was run, the guy who run the shop wanted to stock a little bit of the bait, which wasn't really something we wanted to do, but... You know, why is that? Why, why? Just because it was catching well on the local waters. Oh, right. So we thought, oh, well, it's another, we might as well get us a few more kilos and get yeah, a little yeah. bit of a few hundred quid in bank maybe. No, why, why was it you didn't want to sell to the shop sort of thing? Well, it wasn't really... I don't know, it wasn't really that... We weren't looking at it as a career move. It no. was something that we were doing to subsidise our own fishing. Yeah, yeah. Just so that we could take our five kilo on a weekend. <laughs> right. You know, and we didn't have to pay for it. And we could yeah. get more ingredients in and better ingredients and mm. stuff like that. Um, so we continued like that. And, it, and we sort of got to the point, we were still only doing it... I'd gone back to work uh, by this time because um, I've been told off for fishing too much and I, and I had to go back to work. <laughs> Which would have been um, out of curiosity. What do you mean? Work-wise. Oh, work-wise, it was uh, a printer's in the photography studios, an assistant photographer and digital editor. Right. Which is why I sort of carried... What, which is why I always, I always nosy into the marketing side of things at DNA. Yeah, yeah. It's because I, I sort of understand quite a lot of it. Ah, right, I've been cool. working in it for years. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I went back there, really, just to earn some money. Um, and and it just wasn't... I, I initially went back four days a week, so I could keep... i try and do both things. Mark still wasn't working. Uh, Rich was back properly working, so it was all the Monday was sort of the bait day. Right. Sunday night I'd go fishing. Uh, Monday was a bait day, um, and it just got too much really, just to try and work were on at me about going full time, which you know was obvious really. You know there was a lot of work on. And mm. I didn't really want a part time assistant photographer. But, yeah. So. I had to make a choice in the end, and it was just, um, so I went back full time, and we just, we just thought, I can't, you know, we couldn't, so we just ended up doing it on a night and stuff, and it was just brutal, mate, really, it did, no one wants to spend, 
the week working and then no, and then the nights work and then having well. to go do something because it had got to a point where you've now got quite a few lads using it mm. you know you don't want to let them down and suddenly say oh, I don't want to do it anymore yeah but, so you know we it did get to a point where it was really difficult and it were a bit it was just hard to carry on really but then yeah, I think it was on a photography shoot uh, like a I call it a fame school. I don't know what it was. It was some kind of school for performing arts in Bradford. Right. And uh, we were just loading the car up after this, after the day shoot. And um, we were just stood waiting to get get off. And my phone rang it, and it was a guy who owned this shop, who ran who ran the shop. Sorry. Yeah. Ran the tackle shop. Is yeah, and yeah. he initial well, he, he was initially helping run the tackle. He wasn't actually the owner of the tackle shop, right? But he had some kind of he either shared the premises, or he was a um, a rep for another right. Bit of okay. company. It was really complicated, yeah. Thing, but it was basically sharing the rent kind of on the premises. Okay. He was doing his thing, and the shop owner was doing his. Yeah, but basically, in that time, he'd set up a company called DNA Bates which were basically a little shop that was flogging um, bits of different baits from other companies. Right. And also some, like, homemade stuff, which was rubbish, really. Um, And the guy who used to do the baits for him, which was the A from the DNA, which DNA's not a scientific name. DNA's from the guys who used to own DNA, which were... Guys called David Nick and Alan. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah. So A left of the DNA. Yeah. And he A was the bait man. <laughs> right. And uh, N phoned me up, Nick. Yeah. And he said, um, "I'm a bit in the shit here. Um, would you want to come? Would you come and work for me?" Right. And um, so it basically came. I came. To a decision where you know I didn't really want to stay in the photography thing anymore because I thought I've got a taste for the bait thing, mm. and I felt like I was just treading water in the in the studio. I didn't really, you know, I really enjoyed it. I love photography and I yeah. love editing and stuff, digital editing. But it wasn't your thing. No, I'd had a taste of yeah. Yeah, the yeah. life. Yeah, and I, want, and I wanted more, and I wanted to do other things in the in the industry. So. Why didn't it become DNJ then? Because <laughs> um, it was eight that left, wasn't it? Yeah, it was eight. Yeah, so yeah. Why, why didn't it become DNJ at that point? And um, well, the D had already left. He was like, a oh, right. <laughs> yeah. So it was only N bits. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, that still has a ring to it. Yeah, N-bates. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I basically went in, and what he wanted me to do was um, roll his baits to the recipes that this guy had done oh right so i went in and i went i'm not rolling them mate they're absolute oh <laughs> how come it's always my rods that are going wasn't it because <laughs> <laughs> well, you're using that new bait and you won't oh, yeah. give me any <laughs> um so I've yeah so it. yeah um so he basically wanted me to come in obviously all the recipes were there for the the stuff that they had before, which was basically just ready made kind of like different strawberries and yeah stuff like that yeah yeah and um, I said I'm not doing that mate 
you know, I'll come in and I'll bring uh, the baits that we already had. And I said, I want to bring those in as DNA baits. Yeah. Um, which obviously, you know, it wasn't, it was a little bit of a sticky situation with the lads. Um, but um, they understood where we were at. It was either it stopped there or um, it continued in this way, you know, and they were mm. both um, supportive in that. Um, which I'll, I'll eternally be grateful for. And obviously we're still friends today, but, you know, I understand that it was, the way it was just a point where, you know, I, I didn't make a decision before I'd spoken to them. I said, this has been offered to me, but I'm quite happy to turn it down. Mm. But um, I would like to do it if possible. Yeah. And, th- and they agreed um, in the end. So basically we stopped the garden shed thing. We moved, I moved all the stuff into Nick at DNA. What was the stuff you had at that point? So how, how I was you literally wrong? a couple of shillam tables and a white mixing bowl. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't much, yeah. much more than that. Yeah, yeah. Um, on oh, a little uh, mixer that we got, bought from a pizza shop that had gone out of business. A right, quid, okay. Cool. Which we also still have. I was about to say, yeah, that was my next question. Yeah, yeah we still have that. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Which the lads want to chuck away, but we won't let them. <laughs> <laughs> you need an antiques room. Yeah, yeah, for all we this do, yeah. stuff, Jase. I know. <laughs> so I took that in, and obviously, I knew. I, I had in the back of the mind, I said, I'll come in, but I'm not rolling those recipes because they're rubbish, and I won't, put, I won't be associated yeah, with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I said, what I will do is if you want. A, if you want those baits in your range, I'll make you a better version of that, which I did do. But I knew in my heart that as soon as our bait started getting infiltrated to these same customers, that mm. they were just going to get discarded. And, and in the end, it wasn't long. I bet it was six months, not even a year, probably before any of the old DNA stuff was gone. Right. You know, and I just insisted that the only stuff that we rolled was stuff that we initially your recipes as such yeah yeah yeah, mine, yeah initially it was uh, mark rich and my recipes. recipe yeah, yeah sorry yeah. yeah yeah which the the early bits were ocean x which i've heard people talk yeah. about um yeah. one called maltex um and a little bit later maltex red they were sort of the three bits that we had okay between us yeah um ocean x was the first one which i'd sort of how I got involved with them and that Ocean X is what the bait that they were working on metamorphosed into. Right. So that was the very first bait. Okay. Um, Maltex Red and Maltex were a little bit later on in sort of a collaboration. Yeah. So basically once we were in there and we were selling Ocean X, Maltex, Maltex Red, um, it started taking off really and a lot more people started using it. Obviously, the old DNA stuff um, just got discarded, really. It mm. was a, a nothing, really. Right. <laughs> Are we allowed to turn receivers off? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, at what point... So, I suppose, so... I mean, how sort of established did it get, you know... How sort of big did the company get... 
at that point? You know, what was the next not big, move? Not big at all, mate, really. Um, looking back, obviously any step forward seemed massive at the time. You know, mm. you you get a field tester in um, the Corn Valley, you think you've made it. You know, that's, yeah. you know if someone's bought some bait that fishes down there or... You know, you were literally tap cherry picking the odd angler from here and there and mm. just spreading out yeah. really slowly. But we're still only rolling maybe a couple hundred kilo a week, if that. Bloody hell, still quite a lot of bait, isn't it? It is, for, <laughs> it is for hand rolling, but not, you know, not really. I'm sure there's guys out there now hand rolling and doing more than that. Really? Yeah. Bloody hell. Fair play as well, because it's yeah, I was going to yeah. say, yeah, fair play to them. <laughs> yeah, it's graft Jesus like. Christ, yeah. yeah, it sounds like bloody yeah. graft. Um, so, I mean, so that then, that at that point that you joined DNA, so it was a full-time job then? Yeah, that was a full-time job. Yeah. Well, and quite a considerable drop in wages, as you can imagine, from yeah. going, from working in a studio. Yeah, to, yeah. To... Uh, rolling bait every day mm. you know like a couple hundred quid a week kind of thing and it was just obviously the, I had to run it past Vicky and Mrs she she supported it from the start yeah Um. and, and we just managed she, she knew that it was sort of my dream to do it yeah yeah so well, I just cracked on really yeah so what what was the next stage in sort of DNA I suppose what well, it sort next? of it went it went quite swimmingly for a bit, but then it was just um, it came. Re- uh, Nick, who who was a part owner of DNA, because um, eventually I sort of came in and owned half of it. Um, he he wasn't like a bait maker; he was a rep, really. Yeah, a rep and a sort of businessman. So mm. he was more office based. Yeah, and it was me downstairs slogging my guts out rolling boilers every day and it just felt a little bit unfair sometimes mm. I know he sort of had other things to deal with but it just wasn't it wasn't quite working for me yeah you know, I didn't feel like I didn't have the support because he didn't understand this was sort of at the start of Facebook this as well so obviously because just because of the background the digital background that I've got I was quite early into all that and I sort of understood that this was how it's going to be. We understood the market inside of how it's going to take off and and what anglers want and what they want to see and that kind of thing. And yeah. He didn't understand anything. That. He wasn't even a fisherman. So Oh, right. So it was literally any bait conversations had to be me doing it, which meant stopping rolling. You know, any kind of interaction with other anglers or to create a new business had to come from me. Right. So and you were doing everything pretty much then. Yeah, what well, discount? You know, obviously Nick's was doing uh, financials and office yeah. stuff, and I yeah, yeah. discount that. But I did feel a little bit isolated in that the only person that knew about fishing was me. Right. And it felt like there was a massive weight on my shoulders. Yeah. And it did, it became a bit too much, really, and mm. it was just becoming a bit depressing. I could imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So, it got to the point, obviously, I knew uh, Steve Curry through supplying him. He was buying a bit of bait at that time. Right. Um, so, and obviously, uh, my missus had met him, him and his now wife, Stacey, a few times. And um, 
I think she just messaged him on Facebook once and went, you you have to help Jess out here because I don't think he can do it anymore. He, he's got to the point where he's gonna, he said he's going to just jack it in because he's had enough. Right. So um, it was it was literally that. It was either the split decision. If Steve hadn't have come in, then it would have just been died. Really? Yeah, yeah. It was, I couldn't have done it anymore because I couldn't do it on my own. No. One, no. I didn't have the money to do it on my own, which yeah. I was tied to Nick for that. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's just the bait business is all about, especially the quality bait businesses, you need to you need capital to buy ingredients. There's no there's no way around it. No. And and to sell bait you need ingredients. Yeah. And quality ingredients as yeah. well. I suppose yeah. are expensive at the end of the day. And I suppose the more you buy, the, the yeah, that's the only way to make comes. it cheaper. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's the only way it works, yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, and we weren't in a position to do that and and the bait wasn't suffering, but it, it, we were just having to wait. People were waiting for ages for bait, and you know, you, you just can't continue like that. And I just said, oh, I've had enough now. I'm gonna, um, I would have probably just gone back to the studio again. I could yeah, have got another yeah. job there again. Um, and Vicky says, Oh, if you want, you know, just come in and, and just help Jess out. A bit of a desperate play, I guess. I, yeah. I didn't ask her to do it. She was something she right. did at her own back. Did she? Yeah, right. I wouldn't ever do anything like that because I don't. Steve will say now that I don't ever ask for help. No. But that's just me. And yeah, uh, I get that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I'd rather like fail on myself by myself rather than yeah disappoint anyone else. Yeah, kind of yeah. Thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Well, I suppose it's your own pride. I suppose. Isn't yeah, it, it is. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, I, f- I felt I got myself into that situation. So yeah, if it wasn't gonna work, then it was my fault. It, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah nobody else's. I think a lot of men are like that. Yeah, yeah. We're very stubborn. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I think a lot of people can relate to yeah. that. So, so yeah. Basically, Steve did come in. Right, and, and he offered Nick um, uh, a reasonable amount of money, not very much in, at all in this day and age, and basically took it over. Um, Nick, we left Thursk because obviously Steve's got a lot of land and buildings, um, so I just really just moved into one of the rooms in one of these buildings, mm. um, which wasn't even as much space as a. I'd have a, the uh, previous unit really yeah, but, yeah. but it worked alright and obviously Steve was funding a little bit more he was helping with, me, with ingredients um, Steve's wife is a designer so she started helping with advertising um, and artwork and things like that right and it just it was just a really big boost really and just yeah. just even that small sort of initial capital boost just helped massively yeah so i suppose that was the turning point i suppose yeah most definitely yeah 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 Yeah. so did um i mean was steve as knowledgeable about the bait side of things and all that once steve carrie had come into the business as well you know what sort of was steve's involvement at that point with the bait side of things not a lot at that time i think steve would admit himself he wasn't really you know um, he knows how to use bait, but he wouldn't say he was a bait expert by any means. Yeah. Um, 
I would say that's totally changed to be fair in the last 10 years mm. because um, at that time the Maltins Organic his main business was a tiny was um, it was a fledgling company really and it was sort of his dream to create that and and his knowledge of working with uh, bacteria and cultures and stuff like that is mm. something that he's had to learn from scratch right um, to make that business work and that's something that we've carried over into DNA in later later years right just yeah. with fermentation and yeah and knowing how things react with each other and um, yeah I would say that he's definitely made he's definitely influenced some of the decisions we've made bait wise yeah certainly in the last five years because of the knowledge that he's gained through his other yes. even though it seems totally irrelevant to mm. what the bait business is mm. you know there's a lot of um, crossover really yeah, scientific definitely. crossover yes yeah 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 which I suppose in this day and age definitely is quite important yeah. when it comes to the quality side of things okay I know obviously ingredients as such is is a massive part of it but when you can start in delving into the scientific side of things yeah that is what I think sets you apart from everyone else is that you're doing more than what other people are doing yeah because I don't think a lot of bait companies are looking into the scientific side of things perhaps as much as what we are am I right in saying that um, probably but um, that doesn't mean they all aren't you know there's some good bait makers yeah of course yeah, yeah. I'm not digging anyone out yeah. whatsoever but I would like to think that I've, there's not many people that would have Steve's knowledge on that side no of it's things, quite it? quite unique that yeah. part of knowledge yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, which which come across when I was talking to Steve earlier on when he was telling me about uh, when we, we were talking about sulfur and stuff like yeah. that and he was explaining yeah, yeah. That, you know and sort yeah, of like yeah. within a two minute conversation just blew me away sort of yeah you know yeah, and yeah. um he obviously knows what he's talking about when it comes to that yeah. sort of scientific bacteria and you know fermentation side yeah. of things yeah definitely i wouldn't say we're putting anything more into it than um anybody else we're just doing it our way we're just we're doing it what we think is right and yeah. how it should be done really and yeah. it should the whole industry really should be regulated a lot more than it is. Yeah. Um, but I don't want to. I don't want to be. I certainly don't want to come. I'm a bit torn at this point because I think, you know, I think you know it's wrong that people can put anything in a fish bait that goes in the water course. You know, of course it's wrong, but then I don't want to. Uh, um, be part of legislations that's stops people having the same dream that I had, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. No, I do know uh, what you, you mean. You know, you'll get some big bait companies going, oh, these thread in the sheds are ruining it for, an, ruining yeah, it for us yeah. all. But everyone was a thread in the shed at some point. So mm. you've got a... Um, although I do think that it needs to be regulated, you know, there's no reason why the regulations can't be easily accepted by everyone. Whether you've got a tiny... You know, a garage on back of your house, and yeah, yeah. you've got to kit it all out nice and be yeah. well. But mm. you know, there's no reason why you can't do it properly. But no, no, I get that. No, I do. I, I and that is a really different way of looking at things mm. 
with, with the thread of the shed type guys, definitely. You know, yeah. that, that's given myself a totally different look at it. Yeah, because everyone starts somewhere. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that's that is definitely forgotten, especially like you say with the big companies going, oh, they're ruining it. You know, there's so many of them out there and this, yeah. that, and the other. But but like you say, you know, we all do have to start somewhere, and that that is a great point that you've made. I think the only frustrating thing is that no one's saying these people. The, the smaller guys aren't making good quality bait because I know for a fact they are. Mm. They're not all are, but no. know, there's a good a majority of them are. And they yeah, know what definitely. Yeah. I know a couple down my way that yeah. do make a very good bloody yeah. bait. And they supply now to some of the very big companies as well. You know, and they, yeah, yeah. You know when someone's knowledgeable about bait within the first couple of minutes of talking to yeah. them. You know, yeah, it doesn't matter whether they've got a big factory or they've got no, a, a kitchen. No. It yeah. doesn't matter. You, you know someone that knows you know what they're talking about yeah. bait wise within the first few minutes of talking to them definitely so what happened to those baits that you first started off with so you had the ocean x ocean x and the multex multex and the yeah. multex red what what did they end up evolving or um, i think it I think the next bait to come along was SLK, which was the first bait that I'd developed by myself. Um, and and that is sort of, I won't say it was at the start of where I started to really get into nutrition, because we were already there by then. But my aim with the SLK was to make a bait that had no flavours in it, um, it was purely sort of powdered natural ingredients and a, a complete food source so it ticked every yeah. every box yeah you know, and no, round yeah without f- yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> and no words. yeah yeah um which was re- which was really difficult i could imagine yeah it was yeah, yeah. It, took, it took a lot of doing but how long um, did that take well we always sort of work on a two two year yeah cycle probably from um sort of maybe not not maybe the first thoughts that you've had about it but certainly the first time you've got the ingredients together yeah you might have stuff written on a bit of paper before then but mm. you haven't quite got to the fact of starting it but yeah two to three years is usually a sort of a good testing period or yeah what um when when you're what what was the thinking behind the SLK? So how did you come up with that bait? Or is that too big a question to ask? Um I wanted it to be a fish meal. I wanted it to be a natural fish meal. Um, like I say, so no flavours. Uh, I, I I sort of mean how did you sort of come up with the ingredients for that? So talking to perhaps guys that I would love to be perhaps in the position that you are today. Yeah. You know, what ha- what is your thought process behind a new bait? You know, where, where does the ingredients for this stuff come from? Is it something that happens over time, you know, uh, your knowledge over time? Yeah. Or, you know, is, is that what it is? is? A lot of it is, yeah. There's obviously certain ingredients that you can split them into... Uh, your bulk ingredients like your fish meals, your soya flour, semolina, um, maize flour, those kind of sort of 
bulk ingredient, what I call bulk ingredients. And you've yeah. got the your lower quantity ingredients, so your pre-digested fish meals, and all the sort of attraction sides, so your liver powders, mm. um, yeast extracts, things like that. The stuff that's working to get you the bites. You know, yeah. obviously the bulk, the bulk part is the nutrition part. Um, the smaller parts are what usually get you the bites. Right. So that's the unique. They're the attraction part. Yeah, that's the yeah. unique part of the bait is them them, yeah. them finer details with it. Yeah. But yet with the SLK, so there's no bulking agent as in the semolina and. Um, yeah. Yeah. There is. The, yeah. I'm not saying there is no ingredients like that because there is any balanced bait has to have a. A balance of proteins, right. fats, carbs. Yeah, okay. Um, you need all those in there, not just for the fish, but for commercial purposes, well, for rolling, yeah, um, for binding, for yeah. making sure you can use it in a stick, make sure it stays on uh, the hair overnight. You know, there's lots of different reasons for how you put baits together, um, but it's sort of the smaller things that are the most yeah. important things to me. Right. But the SLK was that was still put together as a, a nutritionally complete bait, so which um, means it sort of ticks all the boxes for the essential amino acids, which not a lot of baits do. But it's quite, I won't say it's easy to do it with a fish meal, but it's it's easiest to do it with a fish meal. Is it? Yeah. Right. Because it's so close to what they nutritionally need. Okay. Which is why it's so popular. As right. we sort of mentioned slightly before. Yeah. So when when it comes to, so you've got your ingredients. Is um, I suppose the volume of ingredients. Yeah. That you know um, is that the secret? Is that is that where because I know a lot of a lot of companies now they have to state exactly what's in their bait ingredient yeah. ingredients wise. So is the secret side of it. You know the the volume that you put in that certain amount of attractor in that certain amount that certain. You usually amount. find that the secretive part of bait making is the attraction side. Right. So it'll be which powdered. There's a million different powdered attractors, different taste type attractors, uh, savoury attractors. Right. Um, uh, there's just, you know there's so many you can't even list them. So everyone will have the favourites, but. Um, for me, savoury attractors are always sort of top yeah. of the tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So, so the SLK then, um, with with the boiling side of things, you know, how how big a you know how big um, does that how much does that matter? Obviously, okay. Obviously, if you go boiling it for five ten minutes, yeah. you're going to absolutely destroy it. So. Um, how do you go about sort of working that part out, you know, with, with the boiling side? Is that just a trial and error thing? Do you try and get the boiling time down as low as possible? You, you know, you'll, so always, you'll always aim to get the boiling time as low as possible. Yeah. But we're always quite conscious of um, uh, making sure the bed's cooked as well. Mm. You know, um, so is it a bad thing if, if it isn't? Raw regs. Yeah, raw reg is not particularly good for fish. Right. Um, due to a trypsin inhibitor within the egg that stops um, the digestion process. So you shouldn't really feed raw paste to, certainly made with fresh egg anyway. Uh, powdered eggs are totally different. But um, 
Oh, so like so so these pastes that that are made with sort of fresh eggs without them being boiled then so not particularly nutritionally aren't they sound not really but 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 in reality nobody's gonna feed kilos and kilos of paste of no true you're not yeah but, yeah but um I so was I suppose in the, small quantities that that that's okay but yeah i think the attraction side of a paste far outweighs a boiled bait you know if you could just fish with paste Mm. You'd catch far more fish, but it paste isn't very easy to use, is it? No, so, no. So we all know that we have to use a boiler because of small fish. Or yeah. It's staying on the hair of it, sticking out. And right. So, so how do you know that that boily has then been cooked for the right amount of time so that that egg's now become safe as such, or... You know, not safe. It'll so be, that if you it's put basically egg like it in. would be basically like cooking a cake. Right. Okay. You, it would be cooked all the way through. Yeah, because I uh, as it probably comes across, I know absolutely bugger all about <laughs> paint. Yeah. So you know, I'm trying. I, I think there's a lot of people out there sat in my position that don't know anything about yeah. bait. So I know I'm being completely and utterly stupid here, especially for the guys that are probably listening to this thinking. You're a fucking idiot if you don't know that. But I literally <laughs> no, don't, no. you know, so I'm sort of trying yeah. to, you know, fathom all these things out. Like with the pasty, I didn't know that, you know, with it, with, or, or, not with it, with the egg side of things, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. So, so how do you know then that, that, that the boilie is such, a, it is perfect? Be- what? Basically because it's it's like when you, I suppose when you bake a cake and you dip it, a skewer into the middle of the cake and it comes out with um, cake mixture on. Yeah. Um, it would be the same in the boilie. Obviously, you won't put a skewer in, but you'd break the boilie open and it yeah, would just yeah. be skinned yeah. and it would be paste inside. Right. Um, although it's really attractive, it's not particularly good to right. feed to the fish. Right. Okay, so with with the boilie being in the water a certain amount of time, would that... Would that have an effect on that paste as such i.e obviously it'll disintegrate quicker yeah 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 so so the breakdown time you know how important is that to you the breakdown solubility is solubility is the number one factor really in carp bait because it's if something isn't soluble then the carp don't know it's there Mm. and they can't taste it yeah or smell it as such um if it doesn't dissolve into the water, they don't know it's there. No, and it's the end of end of story. Yeah, is there a is there a, a a knockoff point for the solubility for for a bait for you? So if something's not breaking down, you know, or does it have to break down instantly? No, or no, no. Is it you know? It's th- usually yeah, usually. I think a lot of people, um, well, they're probably not a lot of people, but quite a common test is people you see them putting a boil in a glass of water yeah and then you see what comes off it mm. and obviously this sometimes disregard some of the stuff that comes off because that'll just be a dye in a particular ingredient in the boiler but if the general water gets cloudy you know that's quite a lot of solubles coming out of the bait which in turn is in tra- is attraction yeah um, which is going to be leaching off whilst the boiler's underwater and attracting the car Right. If that boiler was just sat in there like an inert object, um, like a pound coin in the bottom of a beer glass, 
not doing anything, you know, the cab would never even know it was there. So. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. So um. So when it comes to the hook bait side of things. Yeah. Um. Is it is that something? Would you if you could? Would you not boil it as much, you know, to make it more of an attractor, or would you, or would you, do you still feel that you should always keep it the same? Obviously, no. I think um, certainly on hook bait side, if if you could get away with using paste, and that's a a really good way of fishing. Yeah. Certainly, like meshing, even if you make paste yourself and mesh it up in armor mesh fish like that on a hair rig, that's going to be better than taking a boiled bait out of the bag. Mm. Do you think there'll ever be a point where um, you could make a boilie almost without having to boil it, so that it went hard, I don't know, reacted with air, something like that, you know, something... Yeah, there's certain ingredients in the food industry that um, that allow things to harden, certainly from, like, the sweet industry. Yeah. But, um, but they also... They're not quite right for carp baits, as in they might not be nutritionally uh, ideal for a carp's digestive system. Right. They might lock the bait up. They might um, just stop it being easily digested by the carp. Right. Okay. No, I get that. So although it might look good, and you think, oh, you've, you know, it's worked really well, but yeah. Um, yeah. One of my sort of. I'm always because I like. I'm sort of so in, interested in ingredients. I tend to read packets a lot. Yeah. So if it's, I've got a really sweet tooth and I love sweets. So, and, <laughs> and I tend to just, while I'm eating the sweets, I just look at all the ingredients mm. and a lot of things come up time and time again. And then I look at structures of that sweet and how it's held together and I try and work out the process that they got. It's a bit nerdy, I guess, but I work yeah. out the process of what the machinery's had to do to get that sweet to be like that. Mm. Why those ingredients have worked like that together to create that mm. product. Without them um, um, being, well, I suppose hard-boiled sweets are, are obviously boiled. Are they boiled? Are, or is that um, a complete and utter stupid question? Do you know, I don't know. There. But, a hard-boiled sweet doesn't even sound right, does it? Really? <laughs> there is hard boiled sweets in there. I'm sure. I'm sure I used to eat hard boiled sweets. Yeah, only Nan did or something. There is. Like. Yeah. <laughs> I've lost my trail. <laughs> my head's gone there. Yeah. But but yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking sort of outside the box there with the hook bait side of things. Yeah. That if there was a way of getting that hook bait hard, obviously without having to boil it, because I su- I suppose that when you boil a bait, you're taking a lot out of that bait. Not when as much as you think. It. Oh, really? No. Maybe. Is that a bit of a myth then? Is it? Well, it is a lot a of people bit. say it, don't they? Oh, you boiled it. All, you know, yeah. all the, all the good. Yeah, obviously you are boiling some out, but you're a couple of percent, if that. Oh, is that it? Yeah. Oh, right. Not yeah. that much at all. No. Okay, so the SLK then. Um, I mean that sort of. How well did that go when it sort of went out into the the industry as such? You know, did that. Did that have as good a impact as yeah, you imagined, or yeah? It was obviously, um, we were still quite small, so we had quite we were still quite local to Yorkshire. Mm. But it certainly caught a lot of big fish round Yorkshire on this uh, sort of circuit waters. 
and Cindy's around Yorkshire. Yeah. I caught a lot of fish really. Yeah. So yeah. then, so were you still doing the Ocean X at that point? And yeah, the, still doing them. And the other two as well? Yeah, so we still had those. I think Malt X might have gone by then. Um, the trouble is with the bait thing, you can't have a million baits. I know people always moan about, oh, why have you dropped that? I caught loads of fish on that. Mm. And unfortunately, the way that it works, you know, you can't, we can't produce that amount of um, product for each of the ranges, if you see them. And it's not just about having a boilie, it's having all the sizes of wafters, all the sizes of pop-ups, all the liquids. Yeah. No, the stock for those, the stock on the shelf to ensure that we would fulfill orders. Yeah. Uh, the labelling. Um, and keeping people happy. And I keeping suppose. people interested yeah. in that bit as well. Yeah. You can't, you yeah. know, you don't, I certainly don't want to, I don't ever really want to get to the point where we're just a one bait bait company, you know, because I don't think, I think people like a choice and they do. Some people like non-fish meals, some people like fish meals, um, some people like spicy fish meals, you know, people have different choices. And yeah, they? yeah. And we get a, probably the most asked question that you ever get is what's your best bait? And it's just, it's an unanswerable question. Yeah, it's not. yeah. I think it's something... And all I do is go, personally, my favourite bit is... And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. we switch. Yeah, which... <laughs> <laughs> so, so you've got... So the SLK then, so what was next after that? Um, so I think it was actually Nutter next. Was it? Yeah, because we didn't really have a bird food. Uh, we kept getting asked for bird food. It was, I think it was probably developed around the winter time, as it, bird foods usually are. And, um, yeah, it was, I basically wanted a nice... I didn't just want it a nut bait. I wanted a sort of milky, mm. milk, stroke, milk protein stroke nut bait. Yeah. Um, which is what it turned out to be. And it's still going, and it's still got its fans. Um but it's sort of probably our least popular bait, which is mm. weird considering that nut baits are probably as more popular now than they've ever, ever been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't, yeah, it is a strange one, that. Yeah. It is a strange one, definitely. But yeah. I know a lot of our, we have had comments before when they say, well, I've, I've used a nutter, but it needs to smell a bit more nutty. <laughs> <laughs> What do you want me to do? Put a nut flavour in it. It's you know it's got nut meal in it. It's a milk protein. It's not. Yeah. It doesn't have to smell nutty. I don't understand. Yeah, yeah. But that's a that's a totally different thing. The attraction of, I'm not quite sure where the nut fad thing came from, but I guess it's from, um, tiger nuts being so good. Yeah. Peanuts being so good. Brazils. You know we all know how good they are. But that doesn't mean that. You can grind them up and put them in a boiler because it doesn't really work like that. It's no. totally different. No, I know. But people yeah. think it does yeah. for some reason. Well, I don't know, to be fair. I said I know them, but yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, ground all. tiger nuts and tigers. You you know, they're just not. No. You know, you know how effective a single tiger nut could be yeah. on a little gravel spot yeah. on its own. Mm. A nut boiler made of tiger nut flour wouldn't have the same effectiveness <laughs> it just wouldn't no I know no yeah, yeah I, I get you there no I totally it's understand it's very different yeah 
Yeah, which I, I think we you could talk about forever and still not yeah. get. You no, know, I don't to, think to, anyone to, really understands. No, no, definitely not. So, so you had the nutter then. So I suppose yeah. the the S seven then S7, come along. Which, yeah. Would you say that was the next turning point for DNA when yeah. the S seven had come Most along? Definitely, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. that's when SLK was popular. Um, Nut has always been a sort of there or thereabouts. Yeah. Um, but the thing with SLK is, you know, yourself, it's got a strange smell. It's because it's a yeasty, meaty, livery. Mm. But, yeah. you know, it's not the best smell in the height of summer in your bivy. No. Um, or if you leave it in your foot weld and um, leave it there for a few days. No, if you forget about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I literally wrecked my car doing that. I couldn't get the smell out. No. And, and that smell is a totally different smell compared to what the yeah. bait is as yeah, well. Yeah. It was rancid. Yeah. I'm really, really bad. You know, because no, I, I knew it was, the thing is, I knew it was in the foot weld, but I like the smell of the SLK. I know a lot of people aren't overly keen on it, yeah, but I, I love, love it. Smell of it yeah. So I thought, if it needs a bit, it goes off, you know, I, I like the smell anyway. Oh, mate, it was not good. No. Honestly, yeah, it was bad. The missus wouldn't get in the car. We... We had to get rid of the car. <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> Sorry about that. So, uh, yeah, that's your fault, Jay. Um, so, so yeah, with the S7, now that is, um, you know, our most popular bait, you know. And By far, yeah. I think a lot of people, you know, when you speak about S7, they, you know, the, the company DNA, you know, is represented by that that bait through yeah through yeah, yeah. people you know when when you say to people s7 they say dna you know yeah. they know yeah. you know that it's associated yeah, with yeah i suppose i contradicted myself there i didn't really want to be a one bait company but s7 does point to the fact that mm. you're always going to have a most popular bait because that's just how it of course works. yeah and the more people buy it the more people catching it the more catch pots you have to put up the more people buy it yeah the more people catching it. So, so where it did the idea going, come from the S7? Because that is a very unique bait, isn't it? Yeah, that was basically wanting to um, make a bait with elevated krill levels, which is quite difficult um, because of just the properties of krill and having a tendency to float when you put it in too high in a bay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I got around that um, by tight, tightening the the rest of the ingredients of the bait up a lot more than I would do in a normal fish meal. Mm. Um, and then the sort of, the coarseness of the krill meal itself then opened the structure back up again. It's a bit, it's a bit strange, but... It did seem to work, and I managed to get quite a lot of krill mill into the into the bait without it. It's still quite a light bait because it's probably on the edge of what is it you could probably get away with. But um, right, it just gives it that unique taste. I think mm. you know it's not quite. Is that a bait that Steve had in, had any involvement with as well? Would it? Um, no, that that was initially developed at um, Thirsk still. Oh, was it? Yeah, so we're still at first when we're developing this. Right, really? Yeah, so within that sort of first year and a half, we're only there a year and a half mm. at first from moving. And, you know, quite a lot happened in that time. Because obviously yeah. as soon as I got in there and got my hands on better ingredients at better prices, you know, I started to yeah. 
spend a lot more time working on it. Right. And then we started to move forward quite quick then. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it started there, basically. It, that The development of it probably crossed over into the... I would have said it was in testing stage when Steve came in. Right, okay. So the marketing of it yeah. probably um, came from yeah. Steve's involvement. So you had this krill-based... Uh, I suppose krill's the base of it. So where does... I don't, I don't know if this is a secret or not to the Secret industry. 7 bit. The, well, not the secret seven bit, but um, am I right in saying that there's strawberry and peach, is it? Strawberry? Uh, peach and orange. Peach oil. and orange. Sorry. Yeah, which is a flavour. Yeah, 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 the flavour. What made, because it, you know, they're, I suppose it's a, it's a red fish meal. Is it, am yeah. I right in saying that? Yeah. So where, where did the idea of the strawberry and... The peach. Peach, sorry. Yeah. Um, um, go come into it you know isn't that quite a weird no I don't think so no I think, no I think those I think spice well it's quite spicy as well there's a really um, nice spice blend in it that works really well with the sort of fruity, fruity flavour right does it fruit and spice works yeah. really well together yeah so obviously just we're talking about it now as someone picking it up and smelling it which is yeah a little bit different to what the car see it as yeah well. i think it, it yeah, is but, but I, I guess as a consumer type bear it probably ticked all the boxes at that time right did it and it just people just sort of fell in love with it you know? mm. it's a very unique smell to that one yeah and i suppose the name comes from the seven secret yeah there's more than it, yeah there's more than seven spices actually oh is that ten but it sounds better. S ten doesn't have no. as S seven. S no. no, secret seven. Yeah, yeah, secret ten. Yeah, no, it doesn't. Yeah, I think there's seven main ones, and then there's three bit part players. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on from the S seven, then we then come to my favourite bait, or well, close to me, close to me SLK the switch. <laughs> yeah. Um. Now that I know. Um, took a, a lot of time not only in the testing but um, I'd imagine it took a lot of time in the makeup for that bait so yeah. what what was what was the actual idea behind it at first because it's quite a unique bait the switch isn't it yeah the the original idea came from um, years ago I wanted to develop a protein source um, which will be a blend of different proteins um, to create sort of a the probably as rounded a profile as I could get, as close to fish meal as I could get. Um, so utilizing sustainable proteins rather than fish meal. Right. Um, and it was a switch that sort of was the testing, the test bait for that. If you know what I mean, for that protein. Yeah. And although. Um, the thing that's different about the switch um, that most people pick up on qu quite quickly is the pea protein in it. Um, but the pea protein only makes up a, a relatively small amount of it. Mm. Um, but it's the other proteins that are used alongside that, you know, some milk proteins, um, other veg proteins, that create the balance profile that I was looking for. And it's actually high 
the the switch is actually a, a higher protein bit than the SLK. Right, is it? Yeah. Do you uh, think? Do you think that's what makes it special? Is that that high protein of it being higher than what the SLK is? I think it's something that the fish probably haven't seen for quite a long time because. Um, I think we touched on this before that that usually that kind of bit, um, you know, that kind of pale yellow, yeasty kind of mm. creamy bit, yeah, would generally be a low protein bit and quite um, not nutritionally unsound, but certainly not up to the standards that a fisherman would be. Whereas a switch is, it's a lot more balanced than that, and although it's it's higher protein because it's not quite as digestible as the SLK, so we had to do it at a higher protein level just to get once the limited amino acids uh, had been factored in. You know, the, the obviously the the true amino yeah digestibility of it comes into play. Then a lot of people pick up on the fact it's got pea protein in it, which is sort of they don't turn the nose up at, but it's something that they've not really come across before. Yeah. Um, but people proteins has been used quite a lot in aquaculture for quite a few years. Um, and it's not, it's by far not the most digestible protein, but it does have high levels of some of the essential amino acids that, although obviously we need to balance that out. So we've used other ingredients in the switch to balance that out. And any any of the essential amino acids that are lacking through using the pea protein for that particular protein source has been balanced through um, milk, milk proteins and another veg protein. But, um, so it is, although it looks like a low protein, nut type bait mm. you know it's far from that it's higher protein than the SLK um, and is almost as um, usable the protein's almost as usable as the protein in the SLK right is it now I know the liquid for the S uh, SLK so I've got that on the brain switch. Now. the switch that is I've never been a, a a liquid angler as such. Yeah. It's something I I always try to veer away from boosting my baits with like yeah. high attract liquids and stuff. Yeah. Like, something I, I never never paid off for me. Yeah. In the you know in the past, but since obviously sort of coming to DNA, seeing the liquid sort of side to DNA, and I think we. We on the bait market world, I think, you know, liquids is one of the things I, I would like to feel that we dominate with, yeah. you know, yeah. we take I think definitely, yeah. a lot of pride in and that switch liquid is something else. It really, yeah. really yeah. is something else. And uh, why is that? Um, although I'd like to claim <clears throat> it, I've got to get a, give a bit of credit to Cal Wilson at British Aquafeeds here because he... Um, that the switch liquid is based around um, a sort of savoury amino soak that he's used for quite a few years um, and we just we tweaked it to be incorporated into the switch as a liquid food mm. but it's something that he'd sort of tested for quite a long time um, so you know he's got to take credit for that um, but it's certainly 
you know, I've seen quite a few special liquids over the years, and and it's definitely like, it's definitely up there with the best of them. L zero thirty, you know, Krill Hydroslate. Yeah. As good as they are, you know, you know, switch, switch liquid food is up there. Yeah. With them. Yeah, yeah. definitely. It's the, the the strange thing is, is I find it's. Weirdly enough, I find it's better if I put the switch liquid food on the SLK. It oh, just right, okay, I, yeah. I use it that way round, which yeah. which is madness, yeah. I know. But I, you it's know, quite a natural liquid anyway. There's not, it's not really. A, there's no sort of artificial ingredients in it. It's all sort of savoury kind of yeasty fermented liquids in there. It's yeah. Not, so that can be utilised in any bit, really. You could buy switch liquid food and put it on on whatever bit you yeah. use. You I, wouldn't I have would to put use it even on. DNA. Yeah, I, I would put it on anything. Yeah. And to be yeah. honest, that's one thing that I say to a lot of people that ask me sort of, you know, edgy sort of stuff on social media. You know, I, I, everyone's looking for that edge, yeah. isn't they? Yeah. And I think that, for my own angling, is has been one of the biggest edges I've ever yeah. used, yeah. to be honest, is that switch liquid food. It mm. is something else. Yeah. It really is something else. So, sort of carrying on with the theme of liquids, I mean, with the hydro spot syrups, yeah. for anyone that hasn't, you know, doesn't know anything about that, where did the idea come from behind that? Because that is a real unique liquid um, in the fact of how heavy it is. It's... Yeah, the hydro wheat's a, a brilliant liquid, um, which was sort of came through a contact of Steve's in the agricultural feed industry. He deals with the maltins, he deals with a lot of um, offtake from these feed manufacturers. Mm. And so he gets access to things that would only be accessed by... Um, well, for a start, you've got to buy and buy tanker loads. They aren't really something you can buy by an IBC or right or twenty five liter drum. It yeah. doesn't work like that with no. these people. And and to be fair, they're doing us a favour by selling twenty thousand liters. You know, oh. They don't need to do that. Right, you know, really? they, this is wow. agricultural kind of stuff. Yeah. Um. So, so it is quite lucky that we've. Uh, um, we got it really you know mm. it's been it's been really good for us and it's a very unique well i suppose not well i haven't seen anyone in the industry have something even close to that i don't know if there is or not it's not really something i've investigated but i've never seen anything like it. no no hydro wheat no there is now because there's quite a lot of companies actually buy it off british aquafeeds and sell it but right <laughs> but that's, you know that's you know that's fair enough yeah but the the to answer your question about the spot syrups, um, the the hydroweight itself is really volatile. It's okay in the winter, there's no problems, but as soon as any kind of, it's it sort of activated by heat, mm. it starts a fermentation process off. It can vary from, it's, it's hard to, it's so unstable that you can have, the tanker can offload off 20 IBCs at a time and then the varying in states of fermentation, it's quite a weird right. thing. So the hydrospod syrups were were created to create a more stable version of the of the hydro of the hydro weight and right. user friendly version. Yes, yeah, 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 right. So 
There's, I mean, there's a lot of talk um, on the internet, obviously, about um, sort of where fish meals are going or krill hydrostates going. Yeah. Um, where where do you see that going within the industry? I think I think krill hydrostate will probably be always around. I don't. I think there's obviously going to be massive restrictions put on any kind of harvesting of protein from the sea, but. You know, that's just the way the world's going and we have to accept that. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, there obviously been a shortage of krill hydroslate recently, but that's more of a production thing within the harvesting industry. Right. Uh, whereas one of the ships broke down and then was no longer usable. One company went out of business. Uh, the one, the ship that broke down, they have built a new ship Marine and they will be harvesting again oh. but obviously this all takes time so yeah, you're yeah. talking two years before all this comes back around to fruition I think they're talking right. 2021 so oh, it will, it will okay. always be there but ah uh, right so it's not something that's been stopped then as such and um, no. no one's ever going to be able to get hold of it which is what I've heard basically <laughs> to be honest I've heard that they've stopped the you know you're not allowed to harvest it because we're damaging the seas no. too much and um, no and you're never going to no Akabiamarine do actually work on a um, quota you know they don't just go out pillaging and raping the seas you know they are accountable mm. um, so they will be fishing to a quota whether that quota stays the same forever I probably would think of that but would be unlikely yeah. just because of the way you know things are changing yeah where do you see fish mills in sort of 10 years time then um, part of it for me is, I think there'll always be fish meals because it's a cheap protein source to feed um, animals really. Mm. But there's also a moral thing there, an environmental thing without being a tree hugger. You know, it's not just about that, it's about um, just doing the right thing really. And and just trying to look forward, Just it just seems like the, fish, the bait industry is a little bit stuck in the, from that 1990 fish meal boom it just seems to have not done anything and no. everyone just uses the same recipes mm. and relies on the same thing I'm not saying they don't catch fish because carp they'll always love those carp will always love fish meal that's, they just will Yeah, you know, that's not to say they won't work but I think it, as the population grows and the need for more food to feed the population grows you know, we need to look at something else, not just for the fishing industry, but I mean for feeding the whole world as the a masses, yeah. 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 Yeah, as a whole, rather than obviously the fishing industry is a small part the bait industry, sorry. Yeah. Is a small part of the whole Yeah. Yeah. The, the whole the thing. Whole thing really. Yeah. 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 So uh moving on from all of that sort of political side of things there. Yeah. Um Let's move on to sort of shelf life. Now, this is something that we didn't do for a while. Yeah. Why is that? Um, I didn't think that I could make a bait that was as good as the freezer baits in a shelf life version. Right, okay. So that's a very honest opinion there uh, yeah. of it. Well, not an opinion, but yeah. a, a very honest um, yeah. sort of answer, I suppose, to that. Um, there's quite a lot of factors within that. It's not just um, 
of course I could put um, I could put a massive amount of preservatives in mm. and and that would solve the problem yeah I didn't I didn't want to do that um, so I wanted to get I wanted to get it to a point where I could build the right kind of drying facilities and the right kind of storage facilities that enabled me to get a minimum amount of preservative in dry it a little bit gently than the freezer bits were and for a little bit longer time and just um just create a slightly better product really with a bit more care and attention rather mm. than doing the shortcut of oh, just double the amount of preservative and it's never going to go off is it yeah which yeah. a lot of companies have done in the past yeah. and yet you've still managed to do that and yet the bait is still soft as well which yeah is... uh, well i think it's still a little bit firmer yeah but not by much no really. but it is literally just the drying really yeah 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 it's very it's a very unique shelf life and shelf life is something i've always veered away from always always i think like yeah. yourself like a lot yeah. of big fish anglers out there or a lot of very dedicated anglers out there have always veered away away from the shelf life things because of like you're saying with the preservative side you know that yeah. it's just you know it's not right but um i don't think i'd ever use a freezer bait ever again to right. be honest <laughs> I, I am at that point with it, um, with our shelf life. It is amazing, amazing, amazing. Yeah. Um, it is very unique. Would you say it's better than a freezer bait? If, I, if you know, to be completely honest, I would still say freezer bait. Even though the base mix is the same, liquid foods the same, eggs the same. The only difference is a slight amount of preservative on the drying. I still think um, when that bait goes into the water, even the smallest amount of preservative will slightly hinder any kind of bacterial uh, activity right. that takes place from yeah. the microbial bacteria within the water column. Right which will slow the breakdown you know it's talk you're talking really small percentages yeah yeah you know and and part of the attractiveness of a boiled bait underwater is that as soon as that goes in that's been attacked by all the bacteria mm. and it's breaking it down uh, digesting it and you know it's creating whole new food signals that are just coming off that bait all the time as yeah, it degrades yeah. Yeah. in the water can you can you refreeze freezer bait yeah, you can. Yeah, and that won't have any. Uh, uh, will it? Will it? Will it? Uh, how would that affect the bait? Will it affect the bait, or it'll change it slightly structurally? But I don't think you wouldn't want to put it in ten times after being out in the bank on a summer's day. It's yeah. not really. But I think if you keep it on the bank in good condition, there's no reason why you can't put it back in the fridge. Yeah. You know, ideally you would want to just take what you want to need what you need to use either air dry the rest or what I've started to do is just glug it in in the spot syrup mm. and then just leave it in the bucket in the back of the van and, right. and then just use that as the start to me spot mix or uh, yeah, yeah. Crushed bits. So that water. that that hydro spot mix that that's almost acting as a bit of a preservative because of how thick it is. Is that 
Is that yeah. right? Well, it's yeah, a... it's quite sugary as well. Yeah, so, yeah. Ah, yeah. oh, right, so it's a sugar. Yeah, so that does well. preserve it as well. Right, yeah. cool. But as long as that's kept wet, that's all right. But as soon as that sort of dries, then you'll tend to find that the mould will start to yeah, form. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Which you don't want. No. <laughs> so the, that, that theory on the baits going white, they're better and all that, is that true or is that...? Some of it is, yeah. Obviously, if it's furry and it looks like it's going to walk out of your rucksack, then <laughs> I won't bother using it. But the, just if it's just whiting over a bit, it's just either sugar or... Yeah, salt coming out. Right, just coming to the top, really. Right. Future-wise, I know we've got something in the pipeline at the minute, or it's been in the pipeline for a few years. Yeah. Um, the bug. Hopefully, I haven't dropped myself in it by letting <laughs> everyone know the name. I'm no. sure. I'm sure the name's out there already. Yeah. So, with the bug, what's? It's a. I suppose it's a natural step from the switch. Really, I. We didn't really want to. I think it's a little bit. Um, it's sort of a bit hypocritical to develop a switch and then just go and make another fish meal. Mm. I don't think we need to make another fish meal. There's no point. Mm. There's no, not of the belief that we need to bring a new bait out every year just to put another flavour in it and call it something else. Yeah, yeah. There's no. I'd rather bring a bait out that's different mm. and sort of move forward. We've got good quality fish meals if that's what people want to use. And yeah. they're, just, they're not going anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we've been looking at alternative protein sources for ages um uh, and obviously we've found we found quite a few we, we ended up looking at insect protein because we just think uh from in 2017 defra gave the green light for it to be used in aquaculture which opened up a lot of funding um from government funded Company, sort of scientific companies and also privately funded companies and anything sustainable is obviously big news mm. so there's money getting thrown at it so there's a lot of research going on and, and there's mm. some companies are moving faster than others uh, some people have got better products than others so we've had loads of samples of uh, various insect proteins over the years um, some particularly very good but we, we have sort of just nailed down the deal with one of the better ones that we think um, what made them not good um, just a different protein levels really they're all sort of quite they're, they're decent sort of 50 to 60 percent protein right because the, the, the proteins coming from the larvae yeah not it's not like a ground down bug right um, so you've not literally got all the shell and stuff in there. Right. Okay. And they're also defatted as well, <coughs> so the oil's <coughs> taken out of it. Um, right. So that's a wouldn't that be a good thing though, I suppose. It's a good thing, but it does mean at some point we'll have to put an oil back into it. Oh, which right. is a bit awkward. But right. the, the trouble is with the oils from the insects, the they're quite um they're they're like saturated fatty acids, so they're not particularly good. Right. Oh, okay. Um, not well. They're good, but they're not good for putting in a carpet. Either congeal at really oh, high they? temperatures. So right. Still okay. at like, you wouldn't want to be using one in a 
in a sort of normal kind of lake temperature in that scenario. It's just yeah. going to lock your bait up. Right, is it? Yeah. <coughs> right, okay. Um, yeah, so they defied and then they use, I presume they use that in other yeah. parts of the industry. But this could be very interesting. As, but, you know, going down the insect route, you know, within a bay, obviously a lot of insects live within a pond. This, yeah, this could be... Yeah, I think, well, for me, that's a bit of a... That's not the key, the USP as such, because I don't look at it like that. I'm looking at it from the protein source. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right, okay. So I'm looking to replace fish meal with something, um, something that fish like to eat and is comparable in amino profile. Right, okay. Which insects yeah. are quite close to it, mm. really. Mm. Um, but obviously there's a good byproduct of that is that fish do like eating insects so and yeah. obviously the trials we've done um, you know there's been no kind of the palatability of it is unquestionable mm. you know, they really do like eating it there's not a you know there's no problem there whatsoever so yeah. that's a no brainer um, so basically that's the sort of that's really what the bug's been developed around um and obviously it's in testing at the minute, which yeah, which you know, but yeah, yeah. Is this something that's been done before? I think other people have done. Other people have done like maggot baits, haven't they? And right, have they? Yeah, we certainly won't be going out and saying we're the first people ever to do a put an insect in a boiler because yeah. we're certainly not. But, no, um, you know, but like I said, it is not that for me. That's not the USP. No. I wouldn't sell the bait saying you must buy the bug because carp eat flies it, off the top. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, yeah. I don't look at it like that. It's no. literally about making a bait that carp like to eat. Um, it's better for the environment and is and it's just a little bit different. Yeah. So you know, it's going to be a high protein bait. They like to eat, and it's going to be a totally different taste profile. Yeah, to, yeah. To the other kind of high protein bait, yeah. a bit like the switch was, but just a sort of a meat. Yeah, but this one's Best. got a totally different smell, isn't it? It's a very yeah. I mean, when when you say bug to people, they uh, the name I don't know. It's almost got a sweet, creamy sort of aroma to it, as yeah. a bug. So, but, but yeah, you say bug to someone, and instantly I think they would think that it smell like the SLK. Yeah, rather than. A sweet, creamy sort of type, but the bug's very there is fitting a lot name more. for it because of the insects. Um, yeah, there's a lot more ingredients in it than just the insect protein, obviously. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of a uh, sort of a uh, new sort sort of taste palatants that we've managed to get hold of in there as well. Yeah, and um, and they're probably giving that smell that you can smell in there. Right. That, right. Yeah. If you actually smell the protein meal on its own. You know, you might not recognise that in the bit, but ah, it's just, right. yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, it's just how it's been tweaked. Right. With with the company itself, did you ever expect it to be what it is today? Uh, was was the dream from that day one for it? To, uh, well, I know you've already answered the fact that you never wanted to go into the industry, but I suppose once Steve stepped in and you knew that, you know, you want yeah. to grow this company. Did yeah. you ever expect for it to be what it is? No. Today? No. At various points, um, 
Steve would always ask, um, what do you want to do? Because obviously, you know, you can take it, you can always take anything as far as you want to take it, as long as you believe in it and you're willing to put the work in. Yeah. And he was saying, do you just want to be a lifestyle business, roll some boilers, go fishing, you know, or do you want to... And it's always, it just became, it was just natural steps, really. And, you know, I'm quite uncomfortable with business. I always have been because I'm more of a, I'd rather be on the shop floor getting my hands dirty yeah. than sat in front of my computer, which I tend to be doing every single day now, which I, I would, you know, I'd much rather just be developing products. Mm. But unfortunately, I can't, you know, there's a lot of other things that goes on that I need to be involved with. But, um, so I've never been comfortable with that side, but luckily for me, Steve is comfortable with that side. So that's taken quite a bit of pressure off me. So it's allowed the growth to be um, a little bit easier because, you know, I don't need to, I've always got someone experienced that's already made the mistakes, that's already dealt with particular issues, mm. whether they be staff issues, uh, you know, any kind of issues, just the general day-to-day -day running of a business issues that I've never dealt with in my life. You know, luckily for me, Steve's there and he can handle those issues for me. Yeah. So it has enabled, it's not like I've just grown the business by myself, you know, it's been far from that. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. just done my bit. Yeah along the way yeah and um, and then and the, the other sort of chess players have played have played their part yeah in, and we have some really well. good people on board yeah um in the team and just working with us and everyone works really well together really and yeah it's just it's which just one big family really yeah yeah which shows uh, and, yeah. Uh, and and even though i see it when we were in the old factory but um i saw it more so today when i walked through the new factory and there's I wouldn't say a totally different buzz, but there was a, uh, there was definitely a different feeling within seeing everyone, everyone was, you know, I, I think that old factory become too small for us. Oh, I did. think yeah, that yeah. was, that was why there was a totally different buzz I saw in everyone today. You yeah. Know? And you guys have been there a while anyway, you know, how, how long? At the new we, factory. At the new factory, um, yeah. I think we moved in May last year, so yeah. about nine months. Yeah, yeah. so, yeah, and yet still it looked like day was, one. Yeah, we're Did still doing things. Yeah, because we literally went in, the unit came up and we we moved in in peak season, which is ridiculous really mm. in the bait industry. Mm. So we were literally back and rolling within a week. And um, so it took till winter before we could start doing a bit of decorating and finishing the offices and yeah. and even now we're still doing bits because yeah. we just haven't yeah, because but this winter's been so busy for us. Um, you know, it's been it's been probably more than twice as busy as we've ever been in a winter before. Yeah. And uh which I'm not sure why, whether it's been the we we've had good weather all winter, but um mm. it's just been really good. So we've so even during the winter we've not had much time to get no no and then you go into show season and then all the whole cycle starts again and, yeah. and it's crazy again <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely with dna now as it is today um you know where would you like to see dna in the future um i think it's going in the right direction i don't really i don't really believe in saying 
I want to be the be- biggest bet company in the world. I don't. That's not me. So no, I'm not going to say that. Yeah, yeah. But um, as long as everybody's happy, everyone's got a job. The the company's growing. We're doing it in the right way. The products are still top quality, which they always have been. Uh, then I'll be happy. You know, as long as um, everybody's like I say, happy and happy and looked after, and we're just doing things a DNA way, just steady away doing not sort of diverting from our path just mm. just continuing as we've always done yeah cool well that is probably a great time to end jace thank you for your time i know you're extremely busy no, day in mate. day out a uh, day and night yeah. um thank you for coming on the podcast buddy you're welcome mate thank you top man thanks Well, I hope you all enjoyed that insight there into, well, DNA as a company, I suppose, and obviously uh, a great interview with Jason Trott. And yeah, I'm thoroughly looking forward to getting Steve on the podcast next. He's already said that he won't, he won't do it, but I'm sure that would be a great interview if I could win him round and get him on the podcast. A massive thank you to all of you guys that have given us feedback and and subscribed to the podcast on iTunes. We're obviously on SoundCloud as well. And yeah, some of the reviews that some of you guys have left us have been amazing. So yeah, thank you guys. I'll, I'll give a couple of them shout outs on here got cogsy1985 massive thank you there buddy um bush 89 massive thank you carping wingnut uh tabalot uh obviously these aren't people's real or mark anthony jones 22 so that that might be someone's real name and uh watson 1982 guys thank thanks to every one of you that have left us reviewed uh, reviews and subscribed um yeah absolutely amazing and that's it then until the next one the next one i've already recorded that's another great podcast i won't let a cow out of the bag just yet who that is but till next time hope you're all well and catching plenty of fish <laughs> <laughs>